Welcome to Habs Unfiltered. This independent podcast is featured on the Hockey Writers and iHeartRadio, bringing you honest and unfiltered entertainment and discussion on the Montreal Canadiens and hockey news. Your hosts, Matt Smith, Treg Wilson, and Blaine Putney are proud to be one of your trusted sources. If you are talking about it, so are we. Welcome to Habs Unfiltered. This premier independent fan experience podcast is featured on the Hockey Writers and brings you honest and in-depth Montreal Canadiens discussion and entertainment. Your hosts, Matt Smith, Treg Wilson, and Blaine Pudney are proud to be one of your trusted sources for Habs and hockey news. If you are talking about it, so are we. Are you in the market for quality sticks and equipment you can afford? There is a no-frills, no-nonsense company that wants to provide that to you. No Name Hockey. No Name Hockey is a small Canadian company started by former pro player Jason Goulet. When he retired, he searched for sticks that felt like when he was a pro but could never find the right one or one that was reasonably priced. So he decided to start No Name Hockey. Now No Name offers high-quality, customized sticks at a fair price. They won't try to wow you with a fancy name. They will focus on providing you a pro-stock quality stick that you can afford. The cost of sticks has gone through the roof due to sponsorships and licensing fees. No Name Hockey makes sticks for the No Names and players currently making a name. And welcome to episode 124 of Habs Unfiltered. I'm your host, Blaine Putney, and I'm joined this week by my co-hosts, Matt Smith. Good morning. And Treg Wilson. Hello. So uh, it's been a busy week. A lot, of, uh, a lot of stuff has happened. The Canadians have won a game. They've lost in overtime a bunch of times. Uh, but what we're going to start with this week is a little bit of around the NHL. Um. So Wayne Gretzky's father passed away, and I'd like to extend our condolences to the Gretzky family and the hockey world, as Walter was seen as the prototypical hockey dad. So uh, it's a sad day for the hockey world, and well, hopefully uh, his example will live on with more parents. Uh, did you guys have anything you wanted to put in on that? Uh, I met Walter Gretzky once here in Halifax, a uh, very nice man, took the time out for everyone that showed up. Uh, other than that, uh, you know, just 
all around great person. I watched the uh, funeral, the eulogy yesterday, and uh, just, you know, hockey lost a, a good person. Matt, how about you? I think you guys got it. Yeah, I think you guys got it all handled. Um, as uh, as Drake said, it, it seems that the hockey world really lost a, uh, a really genuine uh, human being and uh, someone that's uh, supported the game for so many years. And obviously, you know, he's uh, associated with arguably the best player to ever play. So um, as you said, it's a, uh, it's a, it's a big loss for the hockey world and, you know, more, uh, more parents should be like him, et cetera, instead of uh, the competitive uh, nature that we see in most games nowadays. Yeah, it's sad. <clears throat> and, um, and as we said, we, we want to pass on our condolences to the entire Gretzky family. Um, we're going to move on from that to something that's happened on the ice. The, um, the Wilson hit. So Wilson kind of blindsided Carlo up against the boards. And even though the head wasn't the principal point of contact, he got a seven game suspension. So hockey ops actually stated that there is a defensible position on this that would state that he doesn't get a penalty, uh, get a suspension. However, they felt that the uh, overt nature of the hit deserved a suspension. Um, I agree. It should have been a, sus- a suspendable hit. That's a blindside hit. Even though the head wasn't hit first, it, the outcome was inevitable. Um, my question is why can't they be more consistent because they don't be, they're not throwing out suspensions for similar hits elsewhere. No, we see the same thing with the, uh, the hit that was on McKinnon the other day. That was, was very sick. Yeah. The two gamer on, on Bledgefield or whatever the hell his yeah. name is. Um, yeah. The consistency has been an issue the whole year. And for me, I knew I knew Wilson was going to get suspended. Um, the seven games is a little bit of a shock, to be to be honest. Um, just based on the fact, you know, it wasn't the primary, um, the head wasn't the primary uh, contact point, etc. However, he is a, someone that's been suspended in the past, and he does have a history. And um, in that game, you know, multiple fights, multiple this, multiple that. Um, obviously, he was in the spotlight throughout that game and I'm sure that weighed into the decision a little bit um and the fact that Carlo was injured and had to leave and um now he's going to be out week to week etc so um I'm not going to say I'm against the uh against the ruling but I was I was a little bit surprised at seven games yeah I I I was too uh Treg how about you I just found it funny that they uh actually ruled it as a boarding uh, penalty or a boarding uh, when they went to the board or went to the player personnel, it wasn't a headshot. They didn't review it as a headshot. They reviewed it as boarding, which I found kind of weird. Yes. The, the initial contact wasn't his head, but he did put his arms up so that he would get hit in the head as he was coming in. Uh, so I think I read somewhere that uh, uh, this is Wilson's, but because it was his first boarding type uh review uh he could have gotten less or they could have whatever uh 
But uh, seven games of surprise. Peros doesn't usually give out long suspensions. When he does give suspensions, uh, he, he'd rather find people and stuff like that. Uh, I knew he was going to get some type of games because it was an in-person hearing. So, uh, But uh, to go back to what you said, Matt, about McKinnon, it's all about that one was about the name that was on the back of the jersey and not so much of the hit that uh, uh, that was made because there was no difference – I would say the hit on Armia was worse than the hit on McKinnon. Yeah. And if you watch the McKinnon hit, the first contact was not the head. It was no, the, it wasn't. It, it was, was the, the shoulder. It was the shoulder, and and I and I believe that hockey ops said that it was just the it was the angle that he took to get there instead of instead of instead of going through the body, like going from the sh- like going from the shoulder or going from the side, he made a path to go to more towards the front of the player. I, yeah. I guess it was over 50% of the head that was hit. Well, yeah. And I guess that's my argument. I mean, what's the difference between the way Myers took his angle at Ar- Armia or the way uh, what's-his-face took his angle at Kotyunemi or the way – or uh, why wasn't anything even taken to the player so, for the cross-check to the back of Druin the other night? Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, so um, – The name on the back of the jersey. It's the name on the back. And, I mean, I'm bringing up Montreal – examples because i watch more montreal games but there's examples across the league of stuff like this going on and nothing being called with the 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 refing is across the league now the last two montreal winnipeg games well i will get into that during the game i didn't mind the refing at all to be honest with you but uh uh, we can get into that when we talk about the series but um, yeah and actually that's that's a good segue because we're we're going to jump right into that now um so montreal played winnipeg twice uh loss in overtime and then a massive win. So we'll start with the loss. Um, four, three loss in overtime. <clears throat> so Treg, why don't you just pick up where you're, you're left off on the, on your, on your train of thought there. Well, I was just going to say that the last two games in Winnipeg, the referees pretty much put their whistles away. I think there's a total of five penalties in the first game and three last night, I think. And, uh, Yes, there's a lot of missed calls, but I'm okay if it's if it goes both ways, as long as it's not blatant. Um, you know, there's a few calls maybe the Habs should have got, but they didn't. And there's a few calls Winnipeg should have got, and they didn't. Um, mind you, the Druin, with a Druin, Deneau hooking was pretty weak, but I digress. Um, but to get into the game, just to get off that, because we've been talking about refing for three weeks straight now, um, I, you know what? I'm okay with the four, three overtime loss. If you look at the, uh, um, the way they played the game, they got down early two nothing. And then they came right back, tied it, uh, battled back after going down three, uh, two on, I would say a bad goal by Jake Allen. Um, if that was price and nets, that's all you'd be hearing about for the next yeah. week, day and a half. And I think we'll get into that when we, uh, later yeah but, that's, uh, a, that's, that's why i bring on yeah and that's why i brought that up because that was a bad goal by jake allen the third goal he should have had he went down early and gave him the whole top corner and no one said a pe- no one said a word about it which is fine because allen's been playing great uh but uh, just so the resilience to the halves and it showed uh, ducharme's shows i think the players are listening to ducharme and wanting to play for him and it shows the Habs are playing to win and not playing to lose. So uh, we'll 
we'll get into the overtime. Uh, I have some things to say about that, but uh, yeah, that's what I have to say about that game. So, yeah, it 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 showed that Ducharme was um, so his his game plan, the system that he's trying to put into place. There are differences from Julian's overall game plan, but it's not it's not massive changes. Uh, defensively, they have to remain responsible. The defensive schemes are pretty much the same. Um, it's the offensive side. So he wants them pushing the pace a little bit more. He wants them getting the pucks in and putting it in the uh, defender's feet, creating that four check that he had, that we saw at the start of the season. And I think the, the big, the big thing that we've been seeing was um, the wingers coming in a little bit lower and providing those short relief, uh, those short outlets. So there's a short relief pass for the defender from the corner to the, to the winger. And then they can start their, their transition game from there. Um, that's not a huge departure from Julian's overall plan, but it does change the coverage a little bit on the, uh, on the high side. So on the defender at the blue line. So if wingers coming in low, that's that high slot winger has to stay where he is. And then he'll react to wherever the puck goes. If, the Canadians lose the puck and it goes to the point. So that, <clears throat> that changes the, uh, the responsibilities a little bit, but we've seen that they're really applying themselves and they're really pushing that new system. Um, and in the ozone, it's more of a create a cycle, be a little bit more spontaneous, more creative. He's letting them open it up and play in that zone. Um, and we, we saw a lot of that. And in that game against Winnipeg that they lost in overtime, they didn't quit. They, they, pushed, they pushed that pace. They tried to win. Like you said, Treg, they, they didn't play not to lose. They played to try and win. And that's a big difference from what they had before. It's a, more of a, a mental block, a confidence issue. And it, and it paid off. I mean, look at how Drew has been playing. Uh, that third goal, that was Drew Wayne's play. Uh, people complain that he doesn't shoot enough, but Perry doesn't have that goal go off his hip if if Drouin doesn't take that shot, which at first everyone thought it was his goal. So it's those little things that are making the difference. And yeah, we'll get to the overtime here in a minute. But Matt, what did you what did you think of the the regular regular uh, time of the game? So for me, it was the. Um it was the plays that led to the goals that really was the story for me. Um, not necessarily the goals for the Canadians it was the goals against the Canadians. Um, we saw some, uh, some just some little mental breakdowns. And I think a lot um, well, all of the players were really responded in the next game, obviously with a seven, one win, but um, it's just, it's just the little things that, um, that people, that people screwed up on. Like Romanov had some issues Um Kakiniemi just dumped the dumped the puck and then lost the uh, ensuing um, ensuing face off and that led to a goal. Um, there was the uh, Allen going down too early, and then obviously in overtime, which we'll get to. But you know, you have a couple of players run into each other, and you know, you saw you saw them implement. You know, they didn't start with uh, they didn't start with uh, a defensive a bunch of defensive players on the ice, as you said, they were pushing the play and trying to win. And at some point, instead of just saying, well, we'll just reuse the same defensive players. 
they started rolling three forwards out and I like that I like the 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 side of that but then you know it was another one of those mistakes that they made it was it was they led to their own demise really they with with them running into each other and everything like that like there was there was a lot to be excited about for that game though um they were very physical uh, they were very physical in the game. The power play looked good. They're making those short passes. Um, they seem to be supporting like, – lines are supporting each other. Um, I'm really liking what I'm seeing from Corey Perry. He might not be the, the the fastest player anymore, but he's proving his worth, especially with the contract that he signed. He signed a, like, a league minimum contract. I, I, I really think that he's that he's proving his worth. Toffoli, I think, has just been an absolute steal for for Bergevin. I think he's done a phenomenal job. And uh, as you said about Druids, it seems that under Ducharme, he's kind of kind of kicked it into the next gear. Um, he's got the coach's confidence. He's kind of found his confidence. He's starting to shoot the puck more, which I've been harping on since he's joined the team. And... Um, his, his just his overall compete level is just there. It's just not it's not a one and out anymore. He's he's battling for pucks. He's getting pucks on net, and he's driving the play instead of just being stationary. You know, passer. I'm done. Passer. That's it. And we we've joked around a, a few times. Um, you know, the guy's in on a breakaway and he scores a goal, and the only reason that he scored was because he had no one to pass it to. Right. So. Um, you know, I'm ha- I'm happy for him. This is the Drouin that um, Bergevin wanted to see when he signed him to that extension. Um, obviously, the French media is happy that Drouin is playing well, and we're happy that he's playing well, especially you guys, because, you know, you got to see him play in Halifax. So this is the player that they signed. This is the player that we want to see, and hopefully it'll continue with, uh, with this line combination that they're now playing with. Yeah, it doesn't stop uh... – criticism of any little minor defect in his game no, which i still f- I, I find i find ridiculous if you're gonna nitpick a player's game you can do that to anybody literally Absolutely. anybody yep. if you're not watching his overall game and saying he is by far improved and he is giving full measure of his work ethic yep. then you are doing this to push a narrative yeah 100%. he'll make a 100%. he'll make an error here and there but yep. It's not because he's not trying. Yeah, so is, there, so is everybody else on the team right now. Like exactly. said, as, I, as, yeah. I, as I said, the game on the game that was on Thursday was errors, all errors on Canadians players that led to goals. That was the only reason they lost that game. Other than that, like their compete level was there. It was just the mental breakdowns, um, like you know the puck going around the boards and and, and Weber unfortunately not being able to to handle it puck coming up forward and to the back of the net right it was all just little mental breakdowns that led to it it wasn't the fact that they didn't play a hard game it's just you know turnovers led to their led to their loss Trey uh well yeah like just going back to Drew in there if you look at Drew and you're just saying it still happens now like I write an article put it on Facebook what I guarantee I'm going to get two comments that say Trey Drew and there's absolutely no reason to say that because he's been one of the top three players on the team this season. Now, the argument they make is, well, he only has two goals. 
he also has like 14 assists and he's playing a 200 foot game, which Druid didn't do before. I'm not saying he's playing an excellent 200 foot game, but he's forechecking, he's back checking, he's winning puck battles against the boards, he's setting up people, he's creating offense that maybe doesn't always go in the back of the net, but he's creating offense. So right now, if you're just saying Trey Druin or Edmondson should be taken off the lineup, you're only saying that because you don't like Druin or Edmondson. You have absolutely no basis behind what you're saying. Uh, as for the game Thursday night, um, Matt's hit the nail on the head. Habs win that game if they don't make those errors. To Foley yeah. pretty much stick to stick pass to a guy legs to a goal. Weber, who I thought had a terrible game Thursday night, all around, uh, flubbed it up in the corner and the puck comes out and then Allen goes down too early and the and the goal. So there's a you know a comedy of errors on that goal. Um, and then in overtime, two guys run into each other and you know it leads to a goal. I mean, anyone watching that game knew as soon as those guys ran into each other, I, I knew it was over as soon as Armia hit Petrie. Um, but talking about overtime, and a lot of people are going to nitpick on Ducharme about the overtime. Just so everyone knows, Deneau only had 40 seconds of ice time in that overtime. 43 seconds. Which is a down. massive departure from what normally has happened to this point. So I know a lot of people were on social media saying, oh, nothing's changing in overtime. Nothing's changing in overtime. I'm sorry to tell you, but it did. And they almost scored twice. If it wasn't for Hollybuck coming up with two huge saves in overtime, Montreal would have won that game. And it was because Cotton, you know, I mean, Suzuki were getting the majority of time at center in overtime. Petrie was getting the majority of time on defense. Sherratt only came out for 12 seconds. So before anyone starts going on about Sherratt, now Weber had a little bit more time, but I mean, you only have so many defensemen. And uh, Armia, who was on for the game winning goal, unfortunately, Graham only had 22 seconds of overtime. So I like, I like the fact that they, that they tried throwing Byron out there a little bit with uh, and having the three forwards. He has a speed. He, yeah. Byron has a speed cut out for overtime. It's like uh, Cole Caulfield when he gets to the NHL will be an overtime whiz. I'm yeah. sorry, but he will. But yeah. uh, I guess the point I'm making about the overtime is everyone's still saying it's the same, but it wasn't the same Thursday night. It's just unfortunate that we didn't get the goal to score. Cause if we got the goal to score, the narrative about the overtime would be totally different. So and I, I just wanted to throw those top times on ice out there because I yeah. don't think people realize. All they do is they look and say, why is Deneau on the ice? Well, Suzuki and Cottenhamie can't play two minutes and 50 seconds of, ice, of hockey in overtime because, you know, when they get out there for their fourth shift in 30 seconds, they have no gas. So they're, they're, they're going to be completely useless. So, yeah, But I did so- like the three forwards. I did like that, Matt. You're, you're right. I liked how he put three forwards out there. Well, we, we had talked about this quite a, quite a bit. And, and the Canadians, Canadians are, as I said, they're built. They're a defensive-minded, big, hit-you-typed uh, defense core other than a couple players. And, uh, you know, and even those guys can throw the body. Um, but, um, you know, having the guys like Deneau and Byron and Armia and Lekkanen and, and those kind of guys, they're defensive-minded. They've got some speed play them on the ice in more of a defensive role and, and, and let them, and let them flourish. And we almost saw a few goals. And as you said, if it wasn't for Hellebuck, they probably would have won the game. And, and Blake brought that up last week. He brought up, said, why not play three, four, put a defensive minded forward out as the defenseman. It's like Byron. Byron's the perfect choice because he yeah. got speed and he knows how to play defense. Lekkanen, 
would have been a if good he's choice. Dressed. If he's if dressed. If he's dressed. Um, and we can get into that too. But uh, Gallagher, I was surprised he didn't see any ice time in overtime. That was my big surprise is he didn't. I mean, Gallagher, yeah, good could... speed for short bursts, but he, I, I, I'm surprised he didn't see any time in overtime. It, it could have something to do with the amount of ice time he's had throughout the game. Could be. And he could be just gassed. <clears throat> um, having guys like Byron who are defensive minded, but can still score because he's got the wheels that that's fine. Um, Romanov, Petrie, uh, Kulak even. Um, yeah. Defensively not ideal, but in a three on three situation, it's not about defensive positioning, like a five on five game where you'd see Sherratt and Weber be used. This is, it's, it's completely different. It is a different kind of hockey. So you better put put your fast guys out, put your movers out, the guys who are very mobile, but not the guys that are defensive specialists. You want your top six forwards out there. You you want your top PMDs out there. Um, and, and we saw a lot of that in that overtime, and that's part of the uh, the departure from Julian. We saw a little bit of a shift uh, as guys get used to this. They're, he's going to start using <clears throat> Suzuki, Kotniemi more. We're going to see more of... Uh, Tatar even we're going to see more offense in that three on three. Uh, however, we don't want to see too many three on threes. So we want to see more of what we saw on Saturday night where the Canadians. Um, so the game Saturday, they had a really slow start. The first um, five, minutes. six minutes, it was kind of a rope a dope. They were back and forth a little bit, kind of feeling each other out. No one was really taking control of the game. And then, um, one lucky bounce. Kakanyemi won a board battle, won a one-on-one battle, put the puck in deep, and then it went off a stanchion straight out to Anderson. Anderson I, I, think he, I think he did that on purpose. I think he knew that stanchion was there and aimed sure, for it. And sure. that, that's, that's, the, the narrative, that's the narrative I'm going with. Sure. But the thing is, with, with stuff like that, um, you can't create those lucky bounces if you're not in that zone and you're not winning those battles. So the guys created their own luck. In this case, Kotkaniemi created the luck by winning the board battle and getting that puck deep and high off the glass. Anderson was cutting across to go cut off the, uh, the puck on the, the far side on his wing, but it just came right out on a stick. He was in the perfect lane and it just, there you go. Thank you very much. It's one, nothing. Um, it's those it's little things like that. Once that happened, the Canadians started to really pick up the pace. Uh, even Weber, <clears throat> we saw it in the second goal. Weber actually pinched in. Normally he's backpedaling like nobody's business as soon as the puck is lost near the blue line so he can take his defensive position. But in this case, he actually stepped up, poked it forward to, to Foley, who made an amazing kick, uh, kick it up to his stick, immediate release, bar down. Uh, I think as soon as that second goal was scored, that was pretty much the game. The Canadians started to really take over from that point. And they chased Hellebuck out of the net for the first time in the, in the entire season. And this is a guy who's probably going to win a Vesna. So that's that's no small feat. Well, he won the Vesna last year. Yeah. yeah. Well, he's yeah. in line to win it again this year. He's yeah. been playing amazing hockey. Um, I thought Price was very solid in that game. Uh, yeah. Second game in a row that he was. I made a kind of a joke tweet that I think everyone took seriously, 
where I said he's only allowed one goal in the post Steve Waite uh, era. <laughs> it was only four periods, so everyone needs to relax. Um, but I'm going to bring up a point about the pads because a lot of people think it's silly, but it's actually not. Yeah. When you have white pads on a goalie, especially the way his white, red, and blue ones are designed, it makes you think that five hole is open. Or it gives you a thought that that there's if there's, you're only doing a quick it's an look. optical it, yeah it's a good optic so with the red pads you take a quick look you're like nope nothing there I'm going high right they go high price who likes to go down early it's already down he has a lot of the net open up uh, but with those pads now I'm not saying this is the reason why he's playing better because he reared, wore the red pads the game before. Um, but those pads do make a difference, and uh, I'm glad to see that the, the red pads are, well, for the time being, or the list game are gone. Uh, but I thought Price was solid. I thought he played a good game. The power play goal, there's really nothing he can do about that. It was a, it was a power play goal. It was a good goal by Winnipeg. Um, but, you know, a bad call on Deneau, but um, he played a solid game. No one really played a bad game really uh, a matter of fact Romanoff and Kulak led all defensemen in minutes um the caught Yammy line looked am- it's just one of those things where everything hit a stride every line provided offense every line got a goal the power play looked good even though it didn't score um yeah what, what else can you yeah, say so really, it was on just a good price game what I noticed with price as well you know he's on his game because he's controlling the rebound you see He's squared up to the shooter. When the shot hits him, he's directing it to where he wants it to go. He is controlling where the rebounds go. And he was, he was full form in that game Saturday. Um, Now on the, you you mentioned the lines, this game, uh, Ducharme kind of went line blender on, uh, on the team. And we're seeing a, a, a shift from Julian in this. So the Canadians were able to, play a few games and start to understand the systems a little bit better. Now he feels that they know enough of the system and what they're, what he expects of each, each player where he can actually change lines so that they can now focus on working with different line mates. It, it's um, the next step of the Ducharme plan, I guess. Uh, the Kotkaniemi line with Anderson and Toffoli, the two top scorers on the team, giving that line an offensive, um, Offensive responsibility. Uh, Deno's line stayed the same. They're a matchup line. And Suzuki line, Suzuki's line, they put uh, Armia there just to get a little bit of a bigger um, bigger bodied presence on the right wing. Um, so there wasn't much of a change in line usage. I mean, it was still, Suzuki was still getting the most ice time as the number one line. Um, in that line, I saw that they had a lot of uh, a lot of difficulty dealing with the Shifley line. Shifley's line had them hemmed in their own zone quite a bit, and the uh, the Corsi percentage demonstrates that pretty well because their Corsi four was pretty low. Even though they got a goal, their Corsi four was fairly low. Um, the Deno line they, <laughs> they provided what they they've provided for the last couple of years. Like we haven't seen that line play that way all season that was their best game yet providing three goals in a game unreal and Deneau, Deneau with his passes he didn't score a goal but those two 
tape to tape beauty passes to to Gallagher. That's if he's not scoring that you may as well do that. It, it was quite nice. Um, and Kakinyemi's line got about 13 to 14 minutes. So they're, they're still third line. Um, and they got two goals. So maybe it's time to give them a little bit more ice time, but we'll see what happens through, through the next few games. But, and I think you, you, you nailed something there with Romanov and Kulak getting the most time on ice. Um, we've been talking about this for a few weeks now where maybe it's time to get Romanov up on a top pair. We've been getting a lot of pushback on social media saying, well, he's too young. We don't want to push him too fast, but this isn't the first time he's led the team in time on ice. So maybe he could handle it. Like I know the matchups weren't all top pair or top, uh, top line opposition, but still he can handle the ice time. Give him a few shifts up there. Try it out because the, the Schrott Weber pairing it had a hard time. They have a hard time getting around They're they're not the most fleet of foot defenders. They're solid defensemen, but together they're a little bit slower than you'd want in a pairing. They're, they're being exposed because they're not, they're playing the same teams over again and yeah. they're playing the top lines, which are fast. Yeah. Uh, when you play every team in the league, you're going to have 30, 35 games where you can pair them up against slow first lines because some teams don't have a McDavid, Dreisaitl, or a, a Matthews Marner type uh, type first line. Uh, personally, and I'm going to die on this hill, is Weber needs to be dropped from the first pairing. It should be Edmondson Petrie on the first pairing with Romanov and Weber on the second. Slowly bring Romanov up. He's going to be paired with a good defender uh, and and let him go. Uh, but I think you're right, Blaine. I think uh, Descharm, by the way he did the forwards, he's giving more ice time to uh, Kulak and Romanov. I'm, I'm going to believe that the ice time started going up as the score started uh, going away. I, I don't really have the stats in front of me, but I'd like to see the period-by-period period ice time for those two players because I'm willing to bet after they were up 4-5-0 or five, nothing is when they started getting more of their ice time. Um, that's just an educated guess, um, which is good because it gives, uh, again, he's seeing how Romanov fits with a 20. All right. How is he going to do a 20, 22 minutes against say the second line, right? How's he going to do 20, you know, against a first line, do it slowly. When you feel he's confident and ready, move him up. I'm the charm in my, in my eye, I think he's going to lead this team. I think we're going to do well for the rest of the season, just by the way he's doing things. Um, Sure, we're what two one and two under Desherm now. I think two one and two, and uh, it didn't really. It started slow, but you could see even in the games they lost that the Montreal was a different team than they were when they were losing in overtime with Julian. So patience, people. Patience is all you need. We're, we're in a good spot. We're not. <clears throat> now we're going to need yeah, another last uh, last thoughts on this before I I get us on to the next topic. So, unfortunately for me, obviously I was working, didn't get to see much of the game, but in the highlights that I saw, um, I'll put some humor to the to, to this uh, really quick. It was really nice to see the Canadians get a fucking bounce uh, with uh, with Anderson's goal. Um, 
as you said, with the, with the Gallagher line, it's very nice to see that they had their best game. And as you said, if uh, Deneau is not scoring, at least he was making good passes. And I saw that in the highlights. And um, it's nice to see that line clicking. And obviously Ducharme has seen something in that, kept them together. And it paid off, at least for this game. And hopefully it'll continue in the future. Um, with the ice time with uh, with Kulak and Romanov, as Trike said, it was more than likely the uh, the latter part of the game that they got the most of that. But you know what? There's nothing wrong with that. You you're 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 pumping the score up. There's no sense of keeping playing your top guys, and um, you know you rest them a little bit for the next game. Uh, I thought Price looked good for what I saw in the highlights as well. And um, this is going to be my funny bit. You you mentioned Trag with uh, Carey Price and his pads wearing the white with the trim or wearing the red pads and et cetera, and the illusion. Um, I'll just say this. I said, it'd be great if the Canadians could play with the goddamn reverse retro jerseys on and have the illusions of being a, being a winning hockey team. That'd be, that'd be fantastic. Yeah, it would be. <laughs> it's not the jerseys people. Yeah. <laughs> it's not the jerseys. They're cursed. They're cursed. Yeah. Um, all right. So, before we get, move on to the next topic, I want to remind our, our listeners that we here at Habs Unfiltered are sponsored by Manscaped. So get prepared for St. Patrick's Day with a Manscaped, with, with Manscaped if you're going to get a little lucky. Manscaped is the global leader for below-the-waist grooming and the official sponsor of Habs Unfiltered. To ensure you have the best tools for your family jewels, visit manscaped.com and use code UNFILTERED20 for 20% off for, and free international shipping. Uh, you are in luck because the Manscaped Performance Package is the ultimate men's hygiene bundle. Included in this new package is the Weed Whacker Ear and Nose Hair Trimmer, which is waterproof and uses a 9,000 RPM motor powered 360-degree uh, rotary dual blade system. Look, guys, 79% of partner, partners polled admitted that long nose hair is a major turnoff. Why not use the best tools for the job here? The bundle includes the Lawnmower 3.0 trimmer, the best trimmer on the market for your balls, butt, and body. The third generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce the grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin safe technology. You'll feel confident shaving your thunder down under. You can also get festive and shave and safely shave a shamrock in my pubes. You and your partner. We'll get lucky, all right. Their Lawnmower 3.0 will showcase your pot of gold like no other. Let's not forget their famous liquid formulations, the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and Crop Reviver Ball Toner to maximize your ball hygiene routine. The performance package, now, uh, now to receive two free gifts, the Manscaped Boxers and Shed Travel Bag. The performance package is the best value that Manscaped has to offer and is hot off the shelves. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code UNFILTERED20 at manscaped.com. Also, every purchase at manscaped.com goes towards contributions made to the Testicular Cancer Society to bring awareness to testicular cancer, men's health, and early cancer detection. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code UNFILTERED20 at manscaped.com. There's gold at the end of the rainbow with Manscaped. Well, I like that. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is getting close to St. Patrick's Day. I'm even wearing a green T-shirt for our YouTube viewers. Um, 
So moving on to our next topic, Carey Price. We, uh, we alluded to it a little bit before. Carey Price is finally playing well. Um, but there are some, <clears throat> there are some uh, media members uh, creating narratives and inventing issues in regards to Carey Price. Um, I want to say it now. No, the Stefan Waite firing is not like the Camilleri trade. Just because, just because the conversation happened in the second period, like Camilleri's trade happened in the second intermission, doesn't mean they're the same. The difference being a player was traded off a bench, whereas a coach came in and the GM spoke face to face to him because after many years of playing to, of working together, he felt he owed him a face to face. So you're not going to, you're not going to make an announcement before you talk to the man. So it does make sense to talk to him. I mean, they, they worked together for what, 15, 20 years, almost if you count Chicago and Montreal. Um, and uh, I, I, I just want to say it now. No, uh, Stu Cowan, Price does not run the team. Uh, if you need, if you need to stop saying it, if it makes you feel bad for not being able to say fire MB over everything, um, and start saying fire Carey Price, maybe I don't know. It just it's so confusing because it just seems like a narrative is invented. What What do you guys think, uh, Treg? What do you think? Well, if Carey Price were on the team, Steve Waite would still be there because Carey Price and Steve Waite are very close. As a matter of yeah. fact, Carey Price went to his condo uh, two days after the firing to talk to him. This is this is according to Stephen Waite on his uh, in one of his interviews, and they had a very emotional talk and a very they were very close. So, Stu, you are a credentialed journalist. Uh, you don't need to make stuff. We don't need a Steve Simmons in the Montreal media world. So uh, don't try to be that guy. Don't try to make something up that's not there. It, it's just, it looks bad on you. The story's and, big enough without inventing yeah. one. Um, so uh, according to uh, Bergevin, according to Waite, according to Price, Price had no idea that uh, Waite was being fired before he was fired. None whatsoever. And if Price wanted Waite fired, why would he go visit him? Why would he, you know, um, so right then and there, Stu, you're, 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 you're just making yourself look like an idiot to, uh, to everybody really. And, um, and on TSN the following day, st- or yeah. a day, no, a day, about a day later, 24, 48 hours later, uh, Stefan Waite was on TSN radio. And in that interview, he made it very clear that price did not know in advance. And that in his discussion with Bergevin, Bergevin stated, and, I, and I'm going to quote him here, uh, when Mark told me when he fired me that if Car- that Carey Price didn't know what was going on and if Price didn't get his act together, that he, as in Bergevin, would be next in line to lose his job. So obviously, based on everything that was said after the, after the changes that were made, he wanted a new voice in there because price price is a key player on this team. He is the star player. He is not producing. Get a new voice in, bring in a new coach, shake things up. Uh, clearly Bergevin feels the pressure 
from ownership that they must make the playoffs. And if they do not, he is likely fired just based on this. Uh, I know we've, we've discussed this before. We thought, ah, maybe he's got another year because he's got a year under contract, but making this giant jump forward, making all the moves that they've made, making statements they've made, it, obviously the expectations are much higher. So at this point, I would say that, yeah, if they don't make the playoffs, Bergeron is probably gone. So I, I can see why he's making these coaching changes and there's probably going to be some trades down the line. But my po- the point is on this, if, if you're just going to attack for some vendetta, speculating that Price demanded all this without any evidence whatsoever that Price himself actually did ask for this, despite the fact that he's denying it, it's inappropriate. Hmm. This, this story is big enough without having to create some kind of invented issue. We can be critical of firing Stefan Waite during a game. Absolutely can be critical of that. But we can't say that it's the same as of a Camilleri if trade or invent stories that Price wanted this. It's, I think uh, I, I was reading Brian Wilde's uh, piece the day after, and I think he said it absolutely the best. It's a perfect risk reward to bring in Sean Burke. It can't get worse, but it can get much better. So make a change. That's it. And that's all there is to this. If you want to see UFOs, that's on you. I, I mean, I, I, I don't know why the Gazette, and I'm going to pull, pull out the Gazette because that's for Stu and Brendan Kelly and Pat Hickey and uh, what's his name, uh, Todd there. Uh, Jack Todd. Jack Todd all work and they all, for some reason, have a vendetta. I don't know about Pat Hickey. I don't mind Pat Hickey. But they, uh, Brendan Kelly hates Bergevin. We all know that because of PK Subban. Why? Yeah. Uh, and, but the, for some reason, Stu Cowan and Jack Todd just do not want anything good with Carey Price. They just want him. And I don't, I don't understand. I don't know why this guy carried the team on his back for the entire time he's been there. Uh, and, so yeah, so now I, I read somewhere and someone made up a good point. I can't remember what it was, but uh, number one goalie, and you guys probably read this and you can probably tell me, I think it was uh, Eric Engels. Eric Engels, maybe? A uh, number one goalie is used to playing so many games. Actually, Stephen Wade in his interview, number one goalie is used to playing, I'm going to play three games, two to three games a week, depending on the schedule. And now that price... Wait, new price was going to struggle a bit because he's only going to play one game. Then he may play a second game, but you know what I mean? He's not. The rhythm's thrown off. His rhythm was thrown off. So he knew that it was, uh, correct myself, it was Stephen Wade in his interview. And I think I brought that up on the show. I said, I think price needs to play more. He needs to get a rhythm. He needs to, you know, get this going. I think that's what his issue is. Um, I still think that's a bit of the issue, but again, I know why they were doing it because come playoff time, he's going to play all the games. So we need him fresh and uh, Wade brought up his injuries. He's had a hip injury. He's had a knee injury. He's had a whatever. And as he gets older, they're all going to start to bother him. I'm not saying he's not going to be at 36, 38. He's going to be trash. Uh, because we all know Marc-Andre Fleury's playing well. He's three years older. Uh, 
Hendrick Lugwis played well up until he, you know, he, he played well. Well, he, he could probably still play well. He just had heart surgery, but uh, you know, but for price, it's going to be a little bit harder because of the injuries that he's had that are hard for a goalie. They're going to ache and he's going to play with little aches, injuries and pains. And he has to, has to play through that. So um, yeah. Uh, I don't know this narrative about price wanting everyone fired. He's a princess. He's a coach killer. It's just, there's nothing to it. Uh, Melanson was fired in his first year because he didn't like how he was working with Halleck and price at the time. And then they kept uh, grow for what, six years until Bergevin came in and wanted Wade to come over. Groot just wasn't resigned. He wasn't fired. They just didn't resign his contract because uh, Bergevin brought Wade over from Chicago. Well, when you're with a team for f- almost 15 years, there's going to be changes in coaching. So calling him a coach killer, that's, that's a huge stretch. Yeah. And uh, you mentioned Eric Engels, and he did write a pretty good article on, on Price. Uh, well, at least a segment of it. He asked the question, what did Price think of uh, the media's criticism? Mm. And Price's response was, I just don't care. Now, some people in the media use that as ammunition saying, well, Price doesn't care about anything, but that's not the case. Engels expanded on that. So Eric followed up, wrote a a follow-up piece and stated, this is what he actually meant. It's not that he doesn't care about his own play. The, it's a, he just doesn't care what the media thinks of his play. He is, <clears throat> he's fed up. That's all. <laughs> Price is fed up. And it's not all the media. It's the no. media who are criticizing him on a daily basis. Well, he's That's just what, fed up. Yeah. 15 years of just hearing nonstop, you're just not good enough. Why haven't you won a cup yet? You know? chill out guys like he's done the chill out thing a few times and he's now he's a guy that takes everything to heart so i think he's at the point in his career now where he's just going to start tuning them out and that's partly why some of the media don't like him because he's not as open as he used to be he's not giving them the sound bites that they like that help create some of the make it easier to write articles like we've we write articles based on comments made as well it is not easy when they're giving you canned responses. So I understand that part of it, but to be critical of a player just because of that, that seems a bit much. Well, I'm critical of you, Blaine, and it's just because you're you, though. Because I'm me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and we can be critical of Chris Pudsey because he's just not that good of a goalie. Oh, he's a horrible goalie. Horrible. <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. I don't know. I've never played against him, but when I'm scoring seven goals a night on you, no, I, I just, I just like your little banter back and forth there. About <laughs> yeah. so, there's, um, when I pass by him in the dockyard, I yell, Hey, five hole. There, I mean, there's a reason. I mean, I'll bring it back to this, even though we had got, there's a reason free agents don't want to come here. And there's a reason people don't want to stay. That's uh, definitely one of them. Yeah. And that's one of them. It's because if you're if you're not on top, look at Patrick Waugh and you wrote an article or you're writing an article for recruit uh, for someone to put that. Uh, I think a big reason he got run out is he got tired of the fans, he got tired of the media, he got tired of everyone criticizing when he had a bad game, even though he literally single handedly won that club two Stanley Cups. So I don't know, just 
I've said it before and I'll say it again. They had, they had friggin' billboards in 1993 for the first half of the season trade Patrick Roy. Then he went one on the Stanley cup. And then it, it's the talk of trading him didn't die down until he actually left. And then everybody got upset. Now the same thing's happening with Carey price. And he'll go to Colorado and win them a cup. Well, yeah. The second Carey Price leaves, there's going to be complaining. There's They're going to complain that they didn't get enough in the trade. They're going to complain that Carey Price was too good a goalie to give up. And it's just going to come back. Especially if he wins somewhere else. Yep. Which Wah did immediately. <laughs> yeah, the actual season he was traded. Yeah. yeah. So, but if you haven't, whatever. Matt, did you have uh, anything to add? Uh, yeah, like I, I'm the same way. Just uh, don't run this guy out of town. He's done so much good things for the team. Um, you know, you can tell that he wants to be there for his career. Just if you're media, don't be an asshole. It's about all I can say. Be just, more uh, like Matt. Uh, yeah, be more like me. Be positive. Swear every now and then, but other than that, be be good to go. Yeah. Uh, the only other thing I want to add before uh, before we sign off is I, I feel that that's going to be coming soon. Um, Cole Caulfield ended up being the Big Ten uh, scoring leader. Uh, scored 25 goals, 21 assists. He get a two-point lead over uh, Tufto. And um, good for him, good for Wisconsin. Uh, the start of the season, and uh, they had a lot of issues. And uh, they ended up really turning it on. And so, so did Caulfield, especially after the juniors. Um, scored some big goals. Scored from everywhere, any way possible. And um, I think the sky's the limit for this kid. He uh, really took off the uh, after the juniors and really looking forward to seeing him either with the Canadians or Laval. I think it's going to be Laval first, work with Bouchard. But um, I think this is going to be a guy that's going to uh, turn some heads in the NHL. Despite his small stature, I think, we're, I think we've got a good one there at uh, 15th overall in, in 2019. Um, this is going to be a guy that I think uh, teams are going to look at and say, maybe we should have uh, looked at him a little bit closer. Yeah. He scored 18 in his last 18 goals in his last 14 games played. And he was not just the big 10 scoring leader. He was the NCAA overall scoring leader and which is, and the likely Hobie Baker winner. Uh, He took, he led the, the Wisconsin Badgers who finished last in the big 10 last year to winning the big 10 this year uh they're starting their uh their play their play downs on monday so uh, or next sunday sorry they got a buy on the sunday and they don't play until the monday so um Habs fans who are hoping that he'll sign immediately uh, you're gonna have to be patient because the longer wisconsin stays in that ncaa tournament the longer it's going to take before he'll sign so and remember 14-day quarantine Knowing uh, that this is and knowing that this is his last season, yeah. more than likely, and he's not going to be back in Wisconsin next year. Expect him to kind of you know have the foot on the gas a little bit more, and he's going to want to come out with a uh, with a with a championship if 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 need be. And and I think Dylan Holloway will be the same way. Yeah, all right. I, so. I think uh, if they go all the way, the earliest he can get to Montreal or Laval is sometime in April, I believe, first or yeah, second mid-April. April. Yeah, if they go all the way. So uh, I think I think that does it for our show. I'd like to thank everybody who's tuned in on YouTube, on uh, Apple, Spotify, any place you want you want to listen to a podcast. We're there. Um, 
I want to remind everyone that we are having a giveaway. We are giving away a Terry Ryan book. Follow us on YouTube, comment, retweet, be more, uh, be more interactive with us. And we are going to get, hand out two of these fights, film and folklore tales with Terry Ryan. So these are autographed copies. They're, they're great books. They're a great read. Uh, I read mine as soon as I got here. Uh, Terry is an amazing storyteller. So click subscribe on YouTube, make comments, follow the whole thing. We're going we're gonna to pick two random followers and uh, give these books away soon. We're not so, giving away the, the shirtless pictures of me. You're already posting that for free. So why, why oh, add those? Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Makes so, sense. Makes sense. And I would like to apologize to everyone uh, out <laughs> on the Twitterverse for having to see that. Uh, we're <laughs> sorry. So the winners just keep end up being M Smith and Smith M. And it's like, why is, <laughs> why is this person liking all these pictures? <laughs> Smith M one, three, eight, eight, three, one, two, three. <laughs> Random numbers. Yeah. Uh, all right. So I'd like to thank everyone for listening. Thanks everyone for watching. Um, everyone who has commented and sent us emails and interact with us. You guys make this podcast successful. It's definitely not us. And it's definitely not the shirtless pictures of Treg. Um, so again, thank you everyone. And remember, if you are talking about it, so are we. I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent, almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com. Do, did, will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Cryer Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast, NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Cryer Media Network.